Hey, it's Todd Duncan. Thanks a million for listening to our podcast. Before you actually jump into today's episode, I want to tell you about a new resource that I've created called Connect. Our market has changed dramatically. Our world has changed dramatically. The last couple of weeks and especially the last couple of months continue to serve up to us change. I created Connect as a resource to help guide people through the challenging environments in which we find ourselves and to make sure that you and your business come out stronger on the other end than you were before this whole thing started. Click the link in the podcast show notes to sign up and learn more about Connect. Hey, it's Todd Duncan. Welcome to High Trust Today, the podcast. I'm on a quest to help people win in business and in life. To do that, I know they must trust themselves, their relationships, their business, and they most certainly must trust their future. When you do that, you set in motion a universe of possibilities, and that journey begins right now. You know, I'm really excited about this lesson. I'm excited about all the lessons we get to do with each other. You know, month to month, we get to just kind of shape each other as we continue to work together on this concept of living life abundantly. But I am really excited about this lesson. The reason I'm excited about this lesson is because last year, I did a lesson entitled Living a Life of Excellence. And in that lesson, I talked about eight strategies to really kind of take your life to the next level. And one of those strategies was the strategy that we needed to really improve our associations. And I said that the better our associations were, the more absolute our accomplishments would be. There was a quote in that lesson plan that I want to share with you, which is not in this lesson plan, just to kind of bring this back to front of mind. It's by Charles Tremendous Jones, and he says, the only difference between who you are today and the person you will be in five years will come from the books you read and the people you associate with. Several months ago, I got the opportunity to work with a company called Team and Focus, and I was doing a series of Friday night sales rallies, and one of the rallies was over, and I was out in the foyer, and I was signing books, and Charles Tremendous Jones came by, and he knew who I was, and I knew who he was, but we didn't really have a, a pre-existing friendship, if you will, but he came up to me and shook my hand and said, I just want to let you know that I'm proud of you, and I've known of him a lot longer than I knew him, if you will. And it was just such an incredible moment that we connected and he shook my hand and went into the auditorium and then came back and shook my hand again. And I was just impacted by the fact that uh, here's a guy that's one of the great motivators of all time. And this quote is such a simple quote, but it is so powerful. In fact, it leads me to the other quote that was in those notes, and that was from Jim Rohn. And Jim Rohn said that you can never underestimate the power of influence. Now, one of the things that you and I have to look at is if we want to take our life to the next level, we have to look at how associations are influencing us. In fact, the title of this lesson is Associations They'll Make or Break You. One of my good friends is a guy named Bob Shank, and you may uh, have heard me talk about Bob in the past, but one of the things that Bob does is he helps people that are desiring to live life at the highest level through a process called the Master's Program. And in the second page of the description of this manual that really kind of walks you through what this program is, he talks about the life mastery process. Let me see if I can tee up our lesson by uh, giving you this as a kind of an excerpt to get your mind geared in the right way. He says, most people are content to coast through life with a passive surrender to the forces around them. They settle for whatever the tide brings along. The few who really experience maximum living are demonstrating life mastery. The word mastery is rich in promise. Webster defines it as mastery. Number one, mastership, rule, or control. Number two, ascendancy or victory in struggle or in competition, having, if you will, the upper hand. Three, masterly ability, expert skill or knowledge. And four, the art of mastering an art or a science. He goes on to say that when we talk about life mastery, we mean that, number one, you have control of your life. Number two, you have the upper hand in the struggles of life. Number three, you exhibit expert skills and knowledge about life. And number four, you are regarded as a master in the various roles of your life. Most thoughtful people can see that this kind of experience is not common among most today. Rather than being in control, they are out of control. Instead of the upper hand, they are overcome. Far from expert skills and knowledge, it is more common to be inept and ignorant about the finer points of life. Though perhaps accomplished in one or more of life's roles, there remain important aspects of life in which they feel insufficient to lead. Is life mastery to be expected? 
Obviously, the answer is clear. People who are out to change their world for the better are people who model a capacity for life that is not typical. They are people who are content with where they are while challenged to continue climbing to new levels. Life mastery, finally, as Bob says, is about having life to the full. It means that every part of life, as it was designed and intended by God, is meant to be experienced to the max. It means that nothing is compromised in the pursuit of fully discovering and demonstrating the potential that was instilled into each one of us. And that starts our lesson off. What's been instilled into you? Are you living life at the highest level possible? Have you achieved life mastery? And are you doing the kinds of things that others would look at and say, that's who I want to be. That's how I would like to become. See, the thesis for this lesson is real simple. Your associations and my associations will do more to add value to or subtract value from your life or my life than any other single factor. Let me say it real simple. Okay, Associations will make or break you. They'll give you the life you want or they'll take life from you. A French proverb says that, show me who you frequent and I will tell you who you are. And that kind of sets up this idea of associations that, that really, I think, needs to be kind of concentrated as we think through the power of a, such a simple concept. One of my thoughts in your notes says that your character is rarely shaped by those traits which you envision having. Your character is more commonly comprised of those everyday things with which you most often associate. One of my favorite quotes is from a guy named John Shar, and he says, The future is not some place where we are going, but one we are creating. The paths are not found, but made. And the activity of making them changes both the maker and the destination. Let me, if I can, just uh, have you follow along as I share with you an excerpt out of my book, The Power to Be Your Best. And then I want to have that lead us right into our, our lesson together. To be successful and to achieve our desires, we must raise the standards in our personal lives. By pursuing an enriched values lifestyle, we daily place our integrity at risk. In achieving our goals, we make promises to ourselves and others. From this point forward, the richness of our lives is a reflection of those promises, and our success is based on our keeping them. By this time, you no doubt have already committed to some new courses of action in your life. Whether you've read my books or been a part of Abundant Living for the last several years, you're making changes. When you choose a new direction, by definition, you jettison other directions no longer acceptable to you. As you do this, you first must investigate how you have performed in the past. We start by asking ourselves these questions to help think of that direction. Am I a person of integrity? Am I a person who keeps my word to myself and others? How would I do in a 60 minutes interview? Is there anything in the private areas of my life that should not be there? These are the kinds of questions that, that I heard resonate from the heart of a man who I believe has unquestioned integrity, a guy named Chuck Swindoll. These personal inquiries forced me, and I hope they're forcing you, to look at your own life and ask, you know, am I a person of integrity? Would I pass the scrutiny of the outside world? Am I somebody that others are proud to know? Or am I somebody that they are striving or achieving to become like? I know that, like you, I do my best to, to keep the promises that I make to others. I mean, if I say I'll be home at a certain time, I am. If I've promised to spend the day with my sons, our time together is non-negotiable. If I have a date with Cheryl, the only time it gets canceled is if we both agree to it. If I tell a customer I'll do something for him, I'll do it. Where I'm most vulnerable is never in my outside world, but rather in the privacy of my own world. And that's where associations really, really take root and take hold of my life. If a private investigator were to follow me for a few days, what would he or she find that I would not want anyone else to know or see? Just thinking that gives me pause. What does that question do for you? There's somebody watching you every day and somebody watching me every day, and I believe that's my creator. He sees my moves in the marketplace. He sees what I do at home. He sees what I do when I'm traveling and when I'm alone. Uh, he knows my heart. He knows my motives. Okay, Knowing this, my motivation to be a person of integrity has grown out of my desire to really serve him. And here's what the scriptures say about the importance of integrity. King Solomon said, he who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. 
See, integrity is defined as an unimpaired commitment to personal, moral, and absolute standards. In other words, associations that those standards and those morals, both personally and professionally and, and from a vantage point of being unimpaired, cause you to live and cause you to experience. To live a life of integrity signifies that you say what you mean and you mean what you say at all times without compromise. See, as you and I think about having life abundantly, as we think about being our best, integrity is going to drive everything. And that sets us up with this dialogue that we're going to have. You're going to be thinking and dialoguing with me, even though we won't be having a conversation, about you know how is this affecting your life? I mean, where are you with your associations? Are you even aware of the associations that you're involved with every single day? And how are those playing out in your life and, and in the lives of those that are near and dear to you, that are close to you, that you, that you love? See, I think associations, they test our integrity and they affect our psyche, if you will, four different ways. Firstly, I think that what happens with associations is that our belief systems are affected. Okay? Your beliefs will never be, write this word in, outside the realm of that which you allow yourself to experience. Write that word in. See, what, what this basically says is that my belief systems are driven by my associations. My belief systems will never be bigger, larger, or outside the reality of what I'm allowing myself to experience. If I want to increase the intimacy of my marriage dramatically, I can't hang out with people who don't desire that. If I want to be in the best shape of my life, I can't hang out with people who don't. If I want to be financially free, I can't hang out with people who aren't. If I want to be close to God, I can't hang out with people who don't believe he exists. If I want to be a world-class dad or a world-class mom or a grandfather or a grandparent, you know, I need to associate with those people that are. My belief systems never go up before my associations change. What associations do is they give me the permission to believe at a level that to this point I haven't believed on or at. And so what, what we have to look at is we have to look at this idea that you and I every single day have experiences. And these experiences are driven by our associations and they affect our psychology in that if our associations are not empowering, if they're not positive, if they're not bigger than who we are, then we're stagnating right now. We're already gathering moss. And what we've got to do is, is understand that all new behaviors are founded upon new beliefs. So we've got to look at that. Here's a question to help with that. If an outsider spent a week with you, what would he or she say about the most common themes of your everyday experience? So write those two words in, a week with you, week, and every day. If an outsider spent a week with you, at the end of that week, what would he or she say about the most common themes of your everyday experience? And, uh, I mean, you could just, you could make the list up right now. You could just fast forward. You could just envision that for the next week you got somebody filming you with a videotape, and we're going to play it back this Saturday night. Fast forward, and we're just going to see where are the recurring themes. You know, where are you constantly maybe selling yourself short? Where are you not doing what it is you said you were going to do? Where are you not operating at, at the life mastery level? Where are you not, you know, living life to the fullest? Where, what are your experiences? And that's going to set us up for really the second part of this. Our associations test our integrity, and they... They affect our psychology, not only with our belief systems, but also with our personal standards. And in your notes, it says your standards are set by the most common recurring themes that are placed before you. My standards are set by the most common recurring themes placed before me. And so here's some questions, again, just to kind of stimulate you. And then I'll, I'll try and share some personal examples with you that I think will probably be helpful. In that first bullet, what are your favorite TV shows? And just think about it for just a second, all right? And again, I'm not passing judgment here at all. I don't want anybody to think that there's a good list and a bad list. But I'll tell you something. As we get into understanding the power of media associations, you will realize that there probably is a bad list. But what are your favorite television shows? Just write that, that word in. Um, and then ask this question as you think about it and maybe as you formulate your list. Are they shaping you up or are they dragging you down? How about this one? 
What kind of music do you listen to? Does it say something positive about your personality? And I'll give you an example of how this just struck me this morning. I was on my way to the office, and uh, I remember coming home from my early morning workout that uh, I have a 6-CD changer in my car, and it was loaded with CDs that were very inspirational from a just a, you know, a, a pace standpoint. I mean, you know, good rock and roll stuff and so on and so forth. And it just struck me that time usage when I'm in the car, uh, although nothing wrong with that type of music, it's great for working out and maybe it's great for a, a good drive with a top down, but uh, you know what, it dawned on me that, that I could use that time to listen to uh, two things, to inspirational Christian music, which for me is, is very empowering and very exciting, and or uh, teaching CDs, which uh, I listen to on a regular basis, just like you do. And so I began to, to think this through, and since teaching is a separate kind of issue from the music one, I just want to let you know that, that I got out of the car in my driveway, and I plugged in two new CDs that were of the kind of music and nature that I thought would just be good for me to hear and listen to, and it, and it had a p very positive and very profound impact on my life this morning. And I suppose going home today, maybe it will as well, and I suppose maybe tomorrow morning it will as, as well too. But, it, you know, it just gets back to the kind of music. And today we see, don't we, that the culture and the music that's out there is shaping in many ways negatively our kids and their life's experiences. And, uh, and we've just got to be careful with this because that is an association and that, that can, can really uh, drag us down rather than lift us up. And, uh, and so we, we look at that. And then how about this one? How about this question? What kind of books do you gravitate toward? What kind of books are you reading? Here's a great question to ask. Are they shaping your character positively or negatively? And we could also ask, are they doing anything at all other than providing good entertainment? And I just, uh, you know, maybe a good question would be this question for you. What are the last three books that you read that changed your life? What were the last three books that you read that changed your life? I'll tell you my three. The Man in the Mirror, and this was probably my third time through it, The Celebration of Discipline, and The Power of Crying Out. Those three books I've read in the last six weeks, and, and they've had a profound impact on my life. What kind of books are you reading, and what were the last three you read, and are they having that kind of impact on you? How about this question? What are the next three that you're going to read? Do you have the books that will change your life lined up already? Is your book stack bigger than your capacity to read? Because if your book stack's not bigger than your capacity to read, chances are you're not going to even tap your potential from a reading standpoint. The next three books that I'm going to be reading are Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle, Discovering the Secret of Joyful Giving, Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, How Little Things Can Make the Big Difference, And then uh, Tim Elmore and John Hull's book, Pivotal Praying, Connecting with God in Times of Great Need. What's your book stack look like? How many books you got lined up that other people have recommended that you read? And by the way, if you think about my not-to-do list concept, uh, one of the things I said to you is don't read a book uh, unless somebody's recommended it three times. You've heard about it from three different people or different people. Maybe after one person recommends it, you check it out and you find out that it's a book you should read. But see, the book thing is very important. Uh, you know, if we go, again go back to Charles Tremendous Jones' quote, he says that, uh, you know, who we become is often going to be shaped by the books we read and the people that we associate with. Okay, Let, that leads us to our fourth thought. And again, these are just in the area of standards. How would an outsider describe your closest friends? Write those two words. And how would an outsider describe your closest friends? Are they people that others respect and admire? And these are litmus test questions that in many ways say, here's your standard, okay? And the standards which follow belief systems set up our values and, and the gratification of those values, which is the third thing in your notes. So associations not only uh, test our integrity and affect our psychology in the area of belief systems, but also in the area of standards and now in the area of values. What are values? Uh, your current values are those objects to which you give the most time. Write that word in. And the question is, are you giving the most time to the things that you value the most? And if you're not, then there's a strong possibility that you don't have enough of the right associations going on in your day-to-day -day life's experiences. And what's happening is that you're not living life at the mastery level. You're not living life abundantly. You're not going to the level that you've been designed or instilled to go to. 
And so we've got to ask the question, what are the objects of your affection? You know, one of the great inventory principles, I think, is to do a breakdown in the average day of you. If you broke down an average day in your life and uh, you looked at it, you know, in 15-minute chunks, to what objects do you give the most time? How about the least time? To what activities do you give the most time? How about the least time? To what people do you give the most time? How about the least time? Whether it's your personal life or your professional life, what activities are you involved in the most? What activities are you not involved in the most? Is there an alignment problem there? Is there a prioritization problem there? Is there a level of frustration when you know that you're, you're giving your time to the objects and the people that are not as meaningful to you? And the litmus test here is, again, if you know what's important to you, you'll do the things that you should. If you don't know what's important to you, then you'll do the things that aren't. And generally speaking, what happens is we surround ourselves with these life-debilitating associations and they suck the juice out of our life rather than blow air into our sails and take us to the next level. And why these three things are important, what are they again? Our belief systems, our standards, and our values is because when those three things are messed up, it affects our self-esteem. In your notes, it says your self-esteem will not rise above the self-respect of those you look to for advice and guidance. Your self-esteem will never go higher okay, than the self-respect of those you look to for advice and guidance. One, one of the things I, I want you to recognize is that you've got to look at the inner soul. You've got to ask yourself, who are you hanging with? Where are you getting your advice, directly or indirectly? Where are you getting guidance, directly or indirectly? And by that I mean, who's actually going word to word, you know, ear to ear, eyeball to eyeball with you and, and giving you advice and guidance? And, and maybe who do you look at that doesn't even know you're looking at them, that you're literally just through modeling, uh, seeking advice and guidance? Do you need to just consider this thought? Do you hang out with people who weigh you down or who lift you up? Do you hang out with people who weigh you down or who lift you up? See, people and things, the two elements of associations, are either a wing or a weight in your life. All, mark my words, all negative behaviors are fueled by negative associations. Consider this thought that's in your notes. What few people realize is that associations, not ambitions, inevitably shape one's life. Therefore, to change your life, you must first take a look at that with which you are most comfortable. Let's marry that with the comment that preceded it. All negative behaviors are fueled by negative associations. Okay, Somebody who is overweight has a negative behavior in most cases of either A, eating too much, or B, not working out enough, or C, a combination of those two things. Okay, When we say that, we have to first take a look at that with which we are most comfortable. It is more comfortable to eat than to not eat if the outcome is a new you being thin. I mean, let's just face it. You're not comfortable being thin. You may not feel comfortable being overweight, but the fact is you have a negative behavior that is fueled by negative associations. There's a negative association with food. There's a negative association with working out. And, and what, what happens in your, your life is it's manifested through a depleted energy, through lower metabolism, and through increased caloric intake. And all of that serves up a recipe for taking in more than you, you burn off, and, and you'll gain weight doing that for any extended period of time. It's interesting that people that, that maybe uh, in their mind consider consumption of alcohol a negative behavior. The more they drink, the harder it is to break out of the chains of that negative habit. If they hang around with people who, who drink a lot, then they'll end up drinking a lot. If they hang around with people who don't drink a lot, then maybe they won't drink a lot, depending again on their values and depending on where they are really seeing their life going long term and what's important to them. But again, the longer you stay with negative associations, the more permanent negative behaviors will be. If, for example, somebody feels distant from God and their closest associations are with people who don't even believe he exists, that will be a continued scenario that will play out in that person's life and he will struggle or she will struggle every single time he or she makes a connection between the fact that I want to get closer to God, the people I'm hanging with aren't. I mean, isn't it simple just to understand let's 
not hang with people that don't believe he exists if we want to get closer to him. I mean, you can continue with these analogies and almost build a a circuitous case that all healthy people, all people who are living life to the fullest, have made a decision that they need to constantly take their associations positive so that the ensuing behavior becomes positive. And when we think about this, we have to think about uh, every area of our life that, that really is not operating maybe in the way that we would like it to operate. Get what are the, uh, the five areas perhaps that are the uh, most affected, if you will, in our life by associations that we have, or maybe the 10 for you, it depends. I'm going to talk to you about five of them, but I want to, I just want to park on this point, you know, again, that if there's a crack in your foundation, it doesn't get fixed by putting a a new coat of sealant over the crack. If you have a crack in your wall, it's only fixed temporarily by putting a new coat of paint on it. Underneath the surface, there still remains the cause for the crack. And it could be a weak foundation. It could be lack of clarity on what's important to you. It could be a lot of negative habits that have gotten you to a point where you don't think you can break out of the zone that that you're in. I mean, I've been there. I understand that. I mean, you know, if you've read any of my books, you know that uh, that I had a lot of negative behaviors as I became very successful. And that's a weird thought. But I had some cracks underneath the surface. You know, on the outside, I may have looked at that point successful. I may have been going along the path in a way that other people would say, hey, I want to be like him. But if they knew below the surface what was happening to me and who I was, they would not have wanted what I had. It was only when I started to look at the foundational issues. If I wanted to have less of a problem with drug use, I needed to immediately stop hanging around with people who still found it enjoyable. If I wanted to lose weight, I needed to start hanging around people that had the same goal, that had the same desire. And I made those decisions and those choices, and and the outcomes have been very, very positive. Again, all negative behaviors are fueled by negative associations, and most of the time, what's most negative is what we're comfortable with. And that's why so many people desire this opportunity to close the gap in their life. So... When we think this through, we're going to talk about the five foremost associations in life. And my thought there is simple as this. To significantly improve the quality and direction of your life, you've got to take a hard, honest look at who and what you are currently associating with and then commit to change your associations where necessary. So let's go ahead and talk about the five that I think are probably the most frequent, the ones that are out there that most of us have to deal with on a a relatively routine basis, the ones that, you know, if somehow uh, improved upon, tend to have this kind of this positive overflow into the other areas of our life. And let's see if we can't maybe um, ask a few questions and give you a little bit of direction in each one of these areas and see what kind of action plan it might create for you, okay? One of the first areas in which I think positive associations is absolutely critical is in the area of our physical associations. In your notes, it says that if your trainer is more overweight than you, don't expect to become much thinner. That obviously is something that is probably a foregone conclusion. But there's two things there that maybe are important to look at. Number one would be, do you even have a trainer? And then, uh, and, and then number two is that person in as good, if not better shape, as you want to become or get into. I remember the other day I was doing a seminar and I walked through with my hand held high the different coaches that I have. And I just went through them very quickly, but I was struck with the oddity of the fact that three people came up afterwards and said, can you tell me, again, the five different coaches that you have? And I went through them again, and one guy in particular was very interested from a physical standpoint, and I had made comment that I had not only a a trainer, but I also had a nutritionist. And I think he was significantly impacted because he realized that this was one area of his life that was holding him back. And so in your notes, the questions that I think are are pretty important for you to ask is, I mean, who do you know that is in the kind of shape that you'd like to be in? And maybe what you want to do is just kind of list their names. You know, in the lines below, there's room for, you know, five names. And, uh, you know, maybe just, you know, write their names down right now and, and think about why you want to be in the kind of shape that they are in. I mean, what would it do for you? What would it give you? What values would be more fulfilled than are fulfilled right now? Why is it that you're motivated or driven maybe to be like them or to look like them? And then what we need to do is set up an experience for you. 
Now, let me stress here that associations can be very real. In other words, there may be a, a relationship between two individuals that are creating a positive association. But they don't have to be necessarily real in that sense. They can be viewed or visualized in a way that can cause a change in perspective for you. For example, I read Men's Fitness Magazine. I don't have to know any of the people that are either interviewed or any of the models, if you will, that are posing for the photographs on different weightlifting exercises. I mean, I want to be in better shape. I don't want to necessarily look like they look in, in all cases, but I want to be as healthy as they are. I want to have the kind of heart rate they have. I want to be, you know, uh, in terms of measuring my body fat or my lean muscle mass. I want to be where they are. And so by association, you know, I tap into their expertise. It says in your notes, tap into their expertise or even ask if you can train with them on a regular basis. So I'm tapping into the expertise of a magazine that helps create the kind of physical associations that I found powerful and positive. That magazine deals with a lot of the, the physical regimens that, that go into having an energy-rich life. It uh, goes into a lot of the caloric and food strategies, if you will, to have an energy-rich life. And yet at the same time, I, I tap into a human being, two human beings, well, one being a trainer that I meet with three days a week and another being a nutritionist and helps me design my meals on a weekly basis. And just in the course of about seven months, I've lost almost 9% of my total body fat and increase my lean muscle mass dramatically. Well, that happened because of changing my associations. Now, earlier in my life, and, and I've always been in pretty good shape, but not in, in as good a shape as I want to be in right now. I've got a new vision for what I, the kind of shape that I want to be in, and there's lots of goals that are surrounding that. I, I won't go into them right now because we have other things we need to talk about. But I remember early on, too, uh, when I first started getting in great shape and lost 42 pounds, that uh, a buddy of mine, Craig Aarons, was just, I mean, I looked at him and I said, man, I'd love to look like you. He's 6'4", I'm 6'4", but he had a really lean waist. He had a nice chest, nice arms. I mean, he was really developed nicely. It wasn't uh, something that came natural for him. He worked out four days a week. And I remember that uh, when I asked him, I said, Craig, can I just come along and train with you? He said, sure. And not only did he become my accountability partner and give me those wake-up calls that I wrote about in our book, Wealth Strategies, but I'll tell you the other thing he did. He inspired me because he was way ahead of where I was. It was so frustrating to me early on to have to lower the weights so much from what he was lifting compared to what I could lift. And yet it was so exciting two years later when I was almost lifting what, what he was then able to lift. And, uh, you know, I mean, all we have to do is start looking at the, the associations that we need to be involved in and realize that there is power from those associations. I'll give you another example. Cheryl, my wife, is in fantastic shape. At this recording, we have spent one year battling cancer, and she is now um, back to, to her energy levels of uh, the pre-cancer treatment and is getting ready to, to run a half marathon and perhaps another marathon. And yet she's got a very dear friend uh, whose name is Tammy, and Tammy's not in as good a shape as Cheryl's in, and yet Tammy finds inspiration in tapping into Cheryl's expertise and, and regimen, and they're walking together and working out together, and and yet, you know, it doesn't surprise me my wife has a trainer. And so there's a relationship here in associations that can take your life to a whole new level physically. And I guess the question I'd ask here is, how much is too much to pay for a life of physical abundance? And I don't know about you, but a couple hundred dollars a month might be worth it if that meant a couple training sessions and maybe somebody helping you design food programs that you can create at home for you. I mean, it's up to you, obviously, but here's what I found. Any one of the five areas that I'm about to share with you has an effect on the rest of the areas, okay? If we're not dialed in physically, we're not going to be dialed in in the other areas of our life. It's just impossible to have enough energy to do life well if we're not in good physical shape. So barring the fact that you might have a medical condition that you can't navigate around right now, I think all of us probably can take the level of physical abundance that we have to a higher level. Uh, one of my quotes in here is, if your closest friend's idea of working out is walking to the local McDonald's and curling a couple Big Macs, then you you should not look to that person for exercise tips. Okay, how about this? How about uh, media associations? This, this physical associations, very important. But let's talk about media associations, okay? And uh, one of the thoughts here is if you wouldn't look to your favorite entertainers for advice on how to love your family, then stop letting them tell you how to live your life. Now, I don't know about you, but... Uh, you need to understand something, uh, and I do. I mean, you know, we both do. We need to understand 
that media, which is shows, movies, books, music, so on and so forth, can either pull you down or lift you up. And I think that what we have to look at particularly is the idea of what are we exposing ourselves to in terms of the movies we watch, in terms of the shows on TV we watch, the books that maybe we read, as I mentioned earlier, the music that maybe we're involved in. And, and understand that that plays out very uh, critically in, in life. I think that one of the things I'd like to set up here is, is a, a media slant, if you will. It happens to be a, a TV slant, but it, it works so well with other associations. And you can realize very quickly, particularly if you're a parent, that music and books and, and TV shows can have the same kind of effect on our kids. But here's some statistics, if you will, out of a book called Point Man, written by Steve Farrar that I think are, are incredible. You may have heard some of these before. Some of them maybe you haven't, but they're all shocking. One out of two marriages ends in divorce. The median age for divorce is 34 for men and 30 for women. In 1960, a woman maintained one out of every 10 households with no husband present. In 1986, a woman maintained one out of every six households without a husband present. Tonight, enough teenagers to fill the Rose Bowl, Cotton Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, and the Super Bowl will prostitute themselves to support a drug habit. One million teenage girls will get pregnant out of wedlock this year. 500,000 of those pregnancies will be aborted. Of all 14-year-olds that are girls and alive today, 40% will become pregnant by their 19th birthday. 60% of all church-involved teenagers are sexually active. 60% of American high school seniors have used illegal drugs. Every 78 seconds, a teenager in America attempts suicide. So we have to ask ourselves, what's causing that? It'd be easy to say parenting. It'd be easy to say psychographics. It'd be easy to say demographics. But, you know, it doesn't matter. What's causing it are the shows people watch, the movies people watch, the books people read, and the music people listen to. And we got to ask ourselves, you know, if our kids are, are listening to music that leads them to maybe uh, attempt suicide or if maybe we're not doing the right kinds of things and, and parenting in a way that they see that as an easy way out, or if our daughters and sons grow up in a way that they don't have a high level of self-esteem and a high, high level of self-respect, uh, where are they going to seek it and, and from whom are they going to seek it? I mean, some of the statistics are mind-boggling. For example, the average soap opera, Okay, has 16 implied scenes of sexual intercourse. Okay, by the time a child is 16, they will have seen 72,000 scenes of implied sexual immorality. And I just got to ask you a question. I mean, if it's not good for our kids, it can't be good for us. And particularly if we're in a marriage and we want to maintain the highest degree of intimacy, the, the magazines that, that people read and the, the books people read and the stuff people watch can, can really act as a divisive kind of, uh, if you will, a cancer that, that can really produce the bad results that cause marriages and cause kids to go astray. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I just, I, I guess, call me old fashioned, but I think, you know, the reason you get married is to stay married and a family is a family uh, so long as it stays a family and we've got to do the things that cause our families to grow and we've got to do the things that, that cause um, ourselves to grow because when we're all growing then we're going to be tighter knit. See, I think we need to commit to better scrutinize what we watch and listen to in order to shape our beliefs and values. And I think you need to write down how you'll do that. You know, I, I remember, and, and again, I'm not passing judgment, but I remember uh, several years ago, I just, I made a decision that I would never watch Friends again. Not because it wasn't funny. If I wanted humor, obviously it provided that. But I didn't like the underlying message that that show produced. And there's been many shows that I've just refused to watch because I think it sends a, a signal that is not good for me and, and perhaps not good for my marriage. And both Cheryl and I have made changes with regard to even how we spend time relative to television, and maybe many of you have done the same as well. But I, I, I believe here that it's not the idea that it's a single exposure that can send everything going south, but it's that repeated, again, experiences that shape who we are and what we do. See, the eyes are not only the window to the soul, but they're the sponge that saturates the spirit. What we see through our eyes really dictates who we become. Not only is this important in terms of who we become as people, but it's important with how we operate in life. I mean, you know, exposing yourselves to, to things that produced intellectual equity 
is a much better thing for you to do than exposing yourself to things that just consume brain cells. Remember, uh, I said to my wife about two months ago, I said, honey, you're sounding awfully smart lately. And she said, you know why? It's because I'm listening to radio. I'm listening to talk radio regularly. And again, you may have your own opinions on that, and it doesn't have to be radio. It can be, it can be the right kinds of magazines, the right kinds of books. It can be uh, the right kinds of radio stations. I mean, what are, you, what are you relying on to shape who you are becoming? I want to be fiscally responsible. So I'm watching shows on, on financial management, if you will. I'm watching shows on, on the stock market. You know, I'm uh, involved with Bloomberg and CNBC and paying attention to what those shows are saying. I mean, you know, reading Money Magazine, reading Fortune, you know, staying up on uh, the stuff that I need to stay up on if I want to be fiscally uh, sound and want to continue to create financial security as I've been doing. The same for you. I mean, uh, you know, you can read People Magazine if you want, but it's probably not going to really advance you a long way in life. And again, nothing wrong with those who read People Magazine. I think number three is financial association. If we really want to look at the idea of at some point being wealthy, having choices, being free, then we probably don't want to ask an Enron executive for financial guidance. I mean, you know, let's just face it. Today, more than ever, we are questioning trust in America. We're questioning trust in business. We're questioning trust in motives and people. And, uh, Financial associations are, are critically important for you if you want to ultimately end up financially free. And maybe you are right now, and, uh, and yet we know that in a lot of cases there's been people who have suffered financial reversals. So the fact that you have it doesn't mean that you'll, you'll keep it. You've got to keep playing the game smart. So the questions that you probably want to ask are, you know, who makes the money and handles their finances like you want to? You know, who is spending like maybe you're spending and realizing that you shouldn't spend like maybe they're spending and maybe they shouldn't spend either. But again, it's negative behaviors, negative associations. The two come hand in hand together. It's what people are comfortable with. I've never known anybody that has gotten really rich that has abused high interest rate credit. And yet those people tend to hang together, throw the card out, worry about how we're going to pay for it later. I've never really seen anybody become financially free without a savings plan. Okay, And so we don't want to hang with people that don't save. We want to hang with people that save. We don't want to keep up with the Joneses because keeping up with the Joneses may be the very strategy that causes us uh, to not even be on the same block as the Joneses, uh, let alone in the same town. We've got to play this game smart. We've got to seek financial advice from people that we trust on a regular basis. We've got to understand that, you know, if, if we look at, uh, dollar cost averaging as a concept that, that helps us over time understand the, the cost and the, the value of our investments, realize that you don't do dollar cost averaging by, uh, analyzing it once a year. You don't have a financial plan that you only look at once a year. Chances are if you have a plan, which is the first step, and you only look at it once a year, chances are that you didn't hit it every month. And I've been guilty of that. You've probably been guilty of that as well. But who's handling their money the right way? Who's investing the right way? You know, are you tapped into those people? Write down those people who you will seek advice from. Write down what shows you're going to start watching. Write down what magazines you're going to start reading. Write down how often you're going to look at your financial plan. Write down the things that you know are critical to you achieving some sense of financial security and financial freedom in your life. Because, see, financial associations are going to make you or break you. They're going to take you up or they're going to pull you down. And we got to make sure we understand that. One of the best things that I ever did for, for my own and Cheryl's financial future is, is I wrote a book called Wealth Strategies, The Nine and a Half Steps to Physical, Financial, and Spiritual Abundance. The whole middle section of that book is on financial abundance, on achieving financial freedom and financial security. And I had a good amount of it going by the time I wrote that book, but it was amazing just to see the information that I learned in researching and, and being a part of much of what I teach in the book to be a part of. So you may want to go back if you have that book to take a look at it. And if you don't, grab a copy of it. Let's go to relational or relationship associations. In your notes it says you are who you attract and you attract who you are. So, so one of the questions that we have to ask is, you know, who do you respect and who do you admire? And then you have to start to look at investing in relationships with those who will develop and not degenerate your character. I remember, uh, man, I learned the, the power of this kind of association very early in my life. I was 15 years old. I was a salesperson at a sporting goods store. And over time, I kept seeing two guys that just came into the store repeatedly. Uh, one guy named Bob Shank, the other guy named John Esser. And they came in and they were there to buy running shoes or running gear since they were both avid runners. 
They were also very successful in business, and I learned a lot from them. John was a dentist. Bob ran a large heating and air conditioning business. As the weeks passed, they came into the store and asked me to help them with their purchases, and our relationship grew. My admiration for them also grew, but I didn't realize at the time that this friendship, these relationships, was really a signal that I was going to change in my life as a result of these guys. Throughout the following months, the three of us started doing things together. I, I was interested in them. They showed great interest in me. Over the next three years, we developed great friendships that 25 years later are still very much alive. Why? It's because John and Bob became relationship kind of mentors, if you will. These were guys that I was in relationship with that were, you know, five and ten years ahead of me. And uh, John reached out to me first and led me through a wonderful uh, Bible study called Operation Timothy. And then several years later, as I began to, to become more successful in business, you know, despite some of the things that were holding me back, like I think cocaine abuse and probably drinking at that point, Bob stepped in and he started meeting with me. He helped me set goals and was patient enough to sit with me so that he could understand my problems. And both these guys have taken me to a whole new level relationally. And, and now I look at people that I attract and who I'm, I'm attracted to. And I'm playing at a whole new level because of a guy named Bob Shank and a guy named John Esser. I mean, I have as as friends guys that I can look at like Zig Ziglar and Ken Blanchard and, and John Maxwell, all who are committed dads, all who are committed husbands, all who are committed teachers, all who are, you know, people that are at where I want to be. I'm not there yet. These guys are still decades ahead of me. And it's so cool to be in a position where you can look at and the people that you're looking at can look at you. And the two of you can invest in those relationships that will really develop your character. And so, I, I mean, I, I wrote their names down long before they became friends as guys that I wanted relationship with. I was the best man in my friend Craig Aaron's wedding. I mentioned him earlier as, as my workout partner. And today, we are still best friends, although we don't see each other as much anymore. But we can pick up the phone in a heartbeat and, and connect with each other. Who are the relationships that, that you're involved with that are pulling you down right now? I've got a couple that uh, I'm involved with that... Uh, you know, it's not, I mean, it's not radically negative, but I can just tell that there's a different standard in their life than I'd like to have in my life. And I can tell that it's difficult for me to say no, you know, to the behaviors that maybe they like to say yes to, whether it's jetting off to Las Vegas or, you know, uh, going out for a, a wild dinner or this, that, or the other thing. I mean, I just find that that maybe in, in many cases, and, and maybe you're not too different than me, that... Uh, to say yes to the right things requires you to say no to the wrong things. And it's easier to say yes to the right things when you say no to the wrong things more intentionally, more consistently, and more committedly. Finally, the fifth association that I think will make or break you is your spiritual associations. And I remember, uh, you know, I mean, I've had uh, an interesting walk spiritually. Uh, I became uh, very aware of what it meant to believe in God and believe in His Son when I was 12 years old. And I made a decision that I would embrace that belief for my entire life. And, and yet, you know, just because I embrace that belief does not mean that I am uh, now, you know, Teflon, if you will, to life's problems. They just kind of hit me and slide right off. You know, I'm no different than you, regardless of your spiritual beliefs. But I think there's a yearning for for spiritual intimacy in America. People are searching for something that will fill their heart and make their soul complete, and, and a lot of them don't have it. And I remember, again, where it really started to take flight for me was my first spiritual association, which was my mom and dad. I mean, my dad uh, fostered in me a, a deep desire to love God and to serve him and to honor him. And my mom and dad still today, you know, 50 years of marriage, committed to their faith and committed to each other. And there's not only a great relationship association as a model there that both Cheryl and I are yearning to make, you know, the 50-year mark, if you will. But there's also a great spiritual uh, model there that uh, I think is taking both Cheryl and I to a whole new level. And the question in your notes is who knows and pursues what's best for your soul i mean you've got to look at the people that can help coach you and instruct you in a way that you develop uh, a real spiritual intimacy with the higher power that uh, 96 percent of americans believe in and that is uh, god the creator of, of our universe and I guess the best way I can illustrate this, besides my mom and dad, which were great associations, and besides Bob Shank and, and John Esser, who were both uh, committed men of God, and uh, and again, this is not a, a spiritual uh, prologue to the idea of a, of a, a 50-minute Abundant Living lesson. It just is appropriate to end with this one, because I think it's where people hurt the most. But I remember in 1989, I... 
I had a chance to sit down with Zig Ziglar in, in Palm Springs. He said to me, he said, you know, I, I want you to know that, uh, you know, you don't have a part-time God. You have a God that is full-time for you. And uh, you should try and be as full-time for him as you can. And he just basically looked me in the eyes and he said, you know, don't be for him sometimes and against him other times. And as soon as I heard that, I started thinking, okay, when am I against him? And it's kind of when I'm hanging with people that are against him. When am I for him? It's really when I'm hanging with people that are for him. And Zig said to me, he said, just get off the fence, you know, just be for him or be against him, but don't be both. Because that doesn't do anything for you, and it doesn't glorify him. And I just got, I just got real clear of that. You know what? I needed to be full time for him. And so I began then looking at Zig, and I began looking at mentors again, and see how all this kind of connects together. Uh, you know, I got great relationships now with John Maxwell and Ken Blanchard, and they're both men of God. They they love God with all their heart. John pastored for 25 years, and Ken Blanchard has a lot of ministry stuff going on right now, and. And I have many women mentors, Glenna Salisbury, who fit the same mold, who have been great spiritual advisors to me and who are also very successful in the business arena. And I guess that I would say to you this, that life is measurably better when there's spiritual peace going on in, in my heart. And I think probably the same would be true for you. Life is measurably better when there's a sense of spiritual intimacy, a sense of spiritual balance, a sense of, of spiritual uh, completeness. Daniel Harkavy is another uh, great, uh, great advisor of mine, great uh, spiritual association that has taken my life to a whole new level. And uh, I think it's interesting, too, that that uh, as I kind of complete this lesson with you in the last several weeks, Daniel has met with people who have over the years professed to have found that thing that filled their soul, that higher power, if you will, but who in the end really realized that they didn't have it. And they've asked to spend time with Daniel so they could really understand what it meant to have a personal relationship with God. And I find it fascinating that there's a lot of options out there. The smorgasbord of spiritual stuff is huge. And yet there's there's a real way to develop uh, complete and spiritual fulfillment. And uh, if you have my book, The Power to Be Your Best, read the last chapter. Read chapter 12. It's entitled From Grave to Glory. And just realize that, I mean, in the end, we're all going somewhere. You just got to answer where. And uh, you got to make decisions on who you're hanging with today that are, that are feeding you spiritually. And what are the things you're doing? What are the books you're reading that are feeding you spiritually? You know, what are the, the radio stations and the, the CDs that you're listening to that are you know, feeding you spiritually? And just ask yourself, is there a gap there? Is there room to close that gap? Well, here we are 55 minutes into this, this lesson, Associations They'll Make or Break You. And... Uh, I always kind of test the power of a lesson as I teach it in terms of whether or not I can still grow. And by no means am I ever wanting you to hear that I haven't figured out. I don't. I'm just like you. Every day I have uh, a new opportunity to create a new picture on an otherwise uh, somewhat damaged canvas. And uh, and I try and do the best job I can every day. But I always kind of test the validity of a lesson. Uh, maybe I'm maybe maybe I'm the best kind of laboratory uh, animal, if you will, because I've had so many uh, points of adversity in my life and so many things that I think, you know, uh, have really been been where I've uh, gone to for growth. But uh, I, I test the lesson: Could I benefit by doing what I've just now talked about? And the answer on this one is yes. And uh, I, like you, will hopefully make some uh, decisions and commitments to change as a result of this lesson. Associations they'll make or break you. I appreciate you uh, working with me for the the last hour or so. I I know I have a cold. You've probably heard it, but uh, I uh, appreciate you working through this with me. And I hope that as you think about associations, the ones that are making you, the ones that are breaking you, you'll make some decisions and you'll get in shape so that you can live life abundantly, live it to the fullest, live it as God intended for you to live it. Thanks for listening. Take care. 